Welcome, friends, to the January 15th, 2021 episode of my podcast, Medicine in Action. Uh, based on the feedback from my last podcast, where I answered a lot of the common questions asked about the COVID vaccination, I wanted to provide uh, an update as well as answer more questions that I've received from friends, colleagues, and patients. So as most of you know, in America, we have two vaccines available against the COVID infection, the Pfizer-BioNTech and the Moderna. Uh, As of yesterday, nearly 11 million people have been vaccinated in the United States. Uh, The side effects we are learning more about, uh, so I'll update on that. So one of the first questions I ask is, what is the update on the toxicity data? And uh, although the both vaccines are quite safe, it does appear that the allergic reactions with COVID-19 vaccines are happening at a higher rate than, let's say, the flu vaccine. So far, the data that we have from December, uh, the first vaccine to be rolled out was a Pfizer-BioNTech. By the time they had given 2 million doses or to the 2 million people, actually, Uh, by mid to late December, there were about 11 cases of severe uh, allergic reactions or anaphylaxis reported with that vaccine. Still, actually, overall, a very extremely rare rate. Uh, This would be suggestive of about uh, 10 to 11 cases per million. So there were 21 total cases, I stand corrected, so far at that point uh, with the 2 million doses administered. Uh, the people who had the 21 people who had the severe allergic reactions, the vast majority, 17, had documented history of severe allergies, uh, including anaphylaxis. And most things happen within 10 to 15 minutes. So as the guidelines are, everybody should be observed for 15 minutes after. And of course, there's always availability of epinephrine injection, EpiPen, or other modalities as needed, and everybody recovered. So there were no deaths related to that problem. A second question I received was about use of uh, cosmetic facial fillers. There was an update from FDA noted that a few people who had received the cosmetic injections uh, in their face to either smooth the wrinkles or plump up the lips had uh, unexpected swelling relating to the vaccination. Uh, The number of people in the United States who get this kind of therapy is almost 3 million every year. Uh, The reactions supposedly happen because the vaccine is triggering the immune system. It is very rare. None of the cases required any EpiPen or hospitalization. Most of them were swelling relating to the vaccination. Again, it could be related to some common ingredients uh, used in the vaccine against which antibodies may have been created, as well as the fillers. We're not entirely sure, but these were not life-threatening reactions. So I think uh, people who've used this fillers need to be aware of it. I don't think it's a contraindication, but the incidence is very low, about 1 in 10,000. Now, the big News that has everybody very edgy is the news of a condition, a hematological condition called ITP. As several of you know, I'm a blood specialist and 
This is a condition we often treat. It's an immune-based condition. We don't exactly know the cause of it. So it's a condition where spontaneously your body will make antibodies against a type of blood cell called the platelets. Platelets are cells that help to make the initial clot when we cut ourselves or have an injury. So this condition is common, very easily treated. People generally don't have any fatalities with it. But in this case, there was a 56-year-old physician in Florida, in Miami Beach, who uh, very healthy, no previous history of ITP or this immune condition, received the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. And soon after that, developed uh, these little spots of bleeding on his skin called petechiae. And when they checked his platelet counts, it dropped very low. Uh, he was treated very aggressively with multiple therapies, did not respond, unfortunately, and ended up dying of a hemorrhagic stroke now. Although it is not entirely established that the vaccine was the cause of it, as it can happen spontaneously, it is highly likely, in my opinion, that it was a cause of it. We do know that even the flu vaccine in some people will trigger this condition. So... At the present time, again, out of 11 million doses administered, this is the only known case that we know of with ITP. It is a rare complication, very unfortunate, uh, but something people need to be aware of, uh, but not to be scared of, because again, I believe the risk from the COVID infection is far greater than the downside of these vaccines. The other questions have come in relating to the duration, and we did get an update on the Moderna vaccine from the manufacturers that they have data to suggest that the uh, vaccine efficacy will last probably close to a year, which is encouraging news, although this is still ongoing studies. But uh, it's nice to have uh, some more corroboration that these vaccines are longer lived than we had originally worried about. One other listener asked if the new uh, South African and British strain of the COVID-19, will the vaccines be protective against those? So far, the data seems to be uh, suggestive that the vaccines are effective against uh, those strains because the spike protein against which this vaccine works has not mutated. Those strains have proven to be more virulent means they'll spread more easily, but thankfully the vaccines look like they are going to be protective against them. Now, the other questions I have received are, how should the, uh, what are the short-term safety side effects? We've talked about that on the previous program. Uh, mostly it's fatigue, headaches, muscle soreness, body aches, lethargy, uh, the second dose, interestingly, of the vaccines is showing more side effects lasting three to four days. There have been reports of a few cases of Bell's palsy, which is a temporary facial nerve palsy uh, that happened. A few cases uh, of hypersensitivity anaphylaxis, as we talked about, but they are rare. The management of the early side effects is mainly symptomatic. So for body aches, fevers, we recommend Tylenol or ibuprofen, depending on your allergies, side effects, and medications you take.
the other question I have is, uh, is one vaccine preferable to the other? Both vaccines' efficacy is very similar. The only difference is, of course, the duration. The Pfizer vaccine has given in 21 days and the Moderna in 28 days. Uh, the Pfizer vaccine is approved for 16 years and older, Moderna for more than 18. But apart from that, uh, both seem very efficacious. We are not advising mixing the two vaccines. If you started with one, stay with one for the second shot as well. So contraindications. Uh, so at the present time, the very specific contraindications are going to be if somebody has a severe allergic reaction after a COVID-19 vaccine, like anaphylaxis, or there's an immediate allergic reaction to any of the components, especially we are seeing some allergic history to polyethylene glycol or PEG, which is uh, present in some laxatives like Merrillax. Uh, if people have a known allergy to that or an immediate allergic reaction, they should avoid it. Or if there's a history of immediate allergic reaction to any uh, polysorbate, which is another one of the solvents uh, used in the vaccine. But otherwise, people with even history of allergies should take it, but they should be observed probably for 30 minutes after the dose. Normal observation time is 15 minutes. So if a person does have a severe reaction after the first dose, they should not get the second dose. Uh, the next question I have is, how soon after a COVID infection can uh, or should the vaccines be delivered? This is a controversial area. Currently, CDC is recommending 90 days that anybody who has received or has had COVID infection should wait about 90 days, but this is to be individualized based on each patient's situation. There are patients who are very immune compromised who are risk for getting a second COVID reinfection. I think they should be immunized earlier. The next related question I have is, in people who have either received monoclonal antibodies or plasma treatment for COVID-19, should they get the vaccine? Again, we're recommending that anyone who has received these treatments should delay receiving the vaccine for at least 90 days. Uh, this factors in both the known half-life of the therapies and low likelihood that somebody with COVID-19 will experience reinfection in this time period. We do know that the monoclonal antibodies and the plasma can reduce the efficacy of the vaccine. So that's why this recommendation. If people have just a history of general allergies or severe food allergies, they should still receive the vaccine. A common question from my patients with the immune compromise setting is, should immunocompromised patients receive the vaccine? So immunocompromised patients are the highest risk for severe COVID-19 and death. These are people who are cancer treatment survivors or on treatment, bone marrow transplant, solid organ transplant patient, patients who have genetic immune deficiencies, HIV, or who are on treatments for autoimmune conditions, steroids, immune suppressants. So these are all very high-risk patients. We believe that because of the high risk to this population, immune-compromised patients should receive the vaccine 
if there are no other contraindications. We do believe that the efficacy of these vaccines in this population may be lower, but even a 50% protection is better than zero protection. Uh, We don't know the exact degree this will affect it because vaccine effectiveness depends on an intact host response. Immunization may be less effective in immune-compromised hosts than in general population. So we counsel the patients about it, which means that even after vaccination, they should continue to be diligent with the prevention measures such as mask wearing, social distancing, crowding, crowd avoiding, hand washing. And also the household members of those with weakened immune systems should potentially be immunized as soon as possible. Now we've been asked whether we should delay or stop immune suppressive therapy or chemotherapy before starting a COVID-19 vaccine series. Uh, There is no data available on this. So this is to be done on a case-by-case basis. Means if somebody has a life-threatening cancer and they cannot stop treatment, of course, stay the course. Somebody who is on a well-controlled situation, they should potentially consider taking a break from treatment, discussion with their treating doctor. Uh, so it, it is an individualized situation. What about HIV? For HIV patients who are not on any antiretroviral therapy, especially those with low CD4 counts, they should have the COVID-19 vaccination sooner than later. Uh, Next question I received is, should pregnant or breastfeeding women receive the vaccine? So, so far again, the data has not been provided for those populations because the original studies did not enroll pregnant or breastfeeding women. There are ongoing studies now. But we do recommend, and CDC does advise, that pregnant and lactating women should be offered the vaccine and may choose to be vaccinated. Uh, There is no theoretical reason why mRNA vaccines would be harmful to the mother during pregnancy, to a developing fetus, or to a breastfeeding infant. Uh, There is no data in rat studies that were done with Moderna vaccine that showed any fetal or embryonal development concerns. There is much higher risk for a severe illness or infection in pregnant women. So uh, I would say that this is, again, an area that should be considered uh, thoughtfully in each patient. Uh, Next question is, are there minimum or maximum ages? I answered that in a previous question. We only have a minimum age, 16 for Pfizer-BioNTech and 18 for Moderna. There is no upper age limit, really, for either one of these vaccines. Uh, another listener asks, should Tylenol or non-steroidal drugs be taken prior to vaccination? So this is, again, a controversial area. These drugs can reduce the side effects, but there's a possibility they could also blunt the immune response. Uh, so we're not sure. Each person, depending on their individual profile, should consider that. Another question asked is, patients who have fully recovered from COVID-19, should they receive the vaccine? And the answer is yes. Currently, CDC is saying uh, 
that since reinfection after recovery from COVID-19 is rare for 90 days, these people may wish to defer the immunization for that long. But if they wish to be immunized sooner, there is no contraindication really from our end. But patients who were treated with monoclonal antibodies or convalescent plasma should wait at least 90 days. And then uh, there is a whole controversy whether second dose is needed. Currently, we do advise both doses as it recommended, although England is studying delaying the second dose three to four months to immunize wider swath of the population. Another question was asked is, how does the vaccine affect the evaluation of a patient and testing for possible COVID-19? So we want to be very clear, the COVID-19 vaccines do not influence the results of the PCR test or the antigen test because the vaccines that generate the antibodies are directed at the spike protein. They do not show up as a PCR positive test. Uh, there are some available serological assay which test for this antibody. So antibody tests may be affected, but not the PCR test. So currently, my summary is the vaccines provide a great degree of benefit. There is a small potential risk, like with all things, but clearly the risk-benefit ratio is in favor of the vaccine. Each person has to individually review and discuss this with their physician and make the best decisions for themselves. We hope this will be helpful to you be safe, be well, and continue to use the social distancing measures. Till next time, have a wonderful day. Goodbye.